0: Welcome to the Men's Global Live Stream. If you're joining us and have a Bible, I want you to hold a spot in Ephesians chapter 2. We're in part 2 of a series called The Ultimate. And the big idea is that all of us have limited time and one life. And all of us want to live the best imaginable life. In fact, that's what ultimate means. The best imaginable of its kind and so we want to live life to the fullest and in culture it might sound like you only live once and then in light of that reality uh, you can live it for yourself or you maybe you can live it for some other purposes and that's what we talked about in part one we talked about how there's a battle over how you will live your one life you can live for the immediate or you can live for the ultimate. And living for the immediate is very familiar to every guy who's watching this live stream, right? Sounds like if it feels good, do it. Why? Because you only live once. Follow yourself, follow your feelings, follow your appetites, follow your eye, do things even if they're unhealthy for you. Do them anyway, because you only live once. So you follow your impulses and you let them guide your energy. And that's the message of culture, right? You're in charge. You only live once, man, go for it, all right? Then there's another way to live out your one life. And that's not to live for the immediate, but to live for the ultimate, right? Knowing that you're created by God, you're created for God, you're going to God, that in that identity, As a creation and as a child of God, you can have a relationship with God and live out your identity in God. Live out the purposes of God and start living for eternity now. And this life is then translated and carried forward. And all of those decisions made out of that identity and with that energy, they don't die with you. They go with you. Into eternity. So that's what we talked about in part one. In part two, we're going to talk about just a key factor in how God's man wins the battle of living for the immediate or living for the ultimate, and how one single event can be a game changer in your battle of living for God and living the ultimate. Uh, life And to get us thinking in that direction, I think we can all agree that there are certain events in our lives that have the power to shape the trajectory of our lives or reshape the trajectory of our lives in a powerful way. For example, a mom, she loses a son who is killed by a drunk driver. That same mom in her grief finds purpose and she starts an organization called Mothers Against Drunk Drivers. Maybe you've heard of that. Well, that's the story. Powerful event, personal event, shapes her thinking, reshapes her whole life, whole different trajectory, right? Another example, let's say a soldier who is in combat is saved by the heroism of a fellow soldier. One soldier dies, one soldier lives. One soldier goes home in a body bag, the other walks off the plane and back home and back into their life. And the, the soldier that is saved wants to make the most of his second chance. All right, so that event, powerful, personal, shapes and reshapes his life. So now he wants to be a better man. He wants to live with a greater sense of stewardship over this one life, greater resp- sense of responsibility for this one life. One other example, just an easy one, you know, let's say there's a young boy, he's fatherless. He is mentored by a big brother. In fact, that's an organization, right? This young man is mentored by a big brother. That has an impact on his life. He becomes a successful man, and he begins to mentor fatherless boys himself. So I just wanted to give you some examples that just show that there are powerful events, I know, in my life and probably in all of your lives as well, that have the power to shape and reshape uh, how we live the rest of our lives. And these powerful events in our lives, they have a few things in common just like my examples, or maybe you can think of them, but, but they have a common, they have some common denominators. There's, there's moments or seasons of time where a personal and powerful experience happens, right? There is a powerful, mo- emotional, uh, sometimes spiritual connection, psychological connection to that experience, and then there's a lasting effect, all right? Moment or season in time, powerful personal and emotional response, lasting effect All right now let's make a transition the bible declares that the experience that we have the encounter that we have with god through his son jesus in christ himself works this way in a man you know what it's called salvation all right it's a salvation experience it is a powerful encounter with the grace of god right? And salvation, according to the Bible, is the ultimate power experience and power encounter that is intended to change everything about how you think, how you live, how you invest your energy, your purpose, your plans. Salvation is the game-changing event in the life of God's man that is meant to reshape and reset your trajectory, Okay, And in today's study, what we want to look at is that ultimate experience of salvation and how that moment is intended to reshape us. But first, we want to get God's mind on this theme of living for the ultimate versus living for the immediate. So we're going to look at three passages in God's word from your downloaded notes, one passage from the book of Colossians and the other two from the gospel. Then we're going to unpack those and get into How salvation is the ultimate shaping experience of God's man. So let's look and get God's mind on this theme of living for the ultimate, for eternity, for him, his purposes, right, versus the immediate. All right, Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 and 2 says this, so if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground. Absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Right? right, we're going to unpack that in just a second. Let's go to our gospel verses. The first one is in Luke 17. It says this, Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst, all right? Third passage, all right? and that's from John chapter 10. It's Jesus talking, and he says this, I'll be explicit then, I'm the gate for the sheep. All those others are up to no good, sheep wrestlers every one of them. But the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. Anyone who goes through me will be cared for, will freely go in and out and find pasture. A thief is only there to steal and kill and destroy. I came so that they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of." All three of these passages are connected to our theme of living for the ultimate, all right? Let's unpack those. The Colossians passage. What we see in this passage, number one, is my ultimate life involves a pursuit of God's perspective, right? There in verse two at the end, it says, see things from God's perspective, all right? That is a punctuating statement that's connected to the first line in the passage, which says, hey, if you're serious about living this new resurrection life in Christ, act like it. Well, how do we we, we act our way into living this resurrection ultimate life in Christ? Well, we have to see things from Christ's perspective. And that's why I'm so grateful as, as a Christian that I can I can put on a pair of of God's glasses, right? I I don't know if if you guys have contacts, or if you have glasses, or if you don't have glasses yet. Uh, Some of you are gonna get glasses probably in a few years, (laughs) but you put on a set of glasses, and it makes things that are cloudy right near you or cloudy far away very clear. You see things differently, right? And that is how we live our ultimate life for eternity. All right? We see things from Christ's perspective. And so that's why we read the Bible. That's why we read and reread the Gospels. And we get inside uh, God's word to get God's mind, to get his perspective, and to see things the way he sees them. I'm sure if you, I'm sure. In, in at some time in your life you asked somebody, hey, what's your perspective on this? Because you were trying to discern, gosh, should I go this way or go this way? Hey, what do you think? Great question to ask people. What do you think? And then you get a fresh perspective. When it comes to living uh, for the the ultimate, all right, living out your salvation, living out uh, your life for God, you got to have God's perspective to live out his life. All right, that's the Colossians passage. My ultimate life involves a pursuit of God's perspective. How about the Luke 17 passage, Jesus talking? Secondly, my ultimate life. Uh, involves a presence of God's purpose. I love this interaction between the Pharisees and Jesus where they are so like guys, right? They're so compartmentalized, right? They're asking him a question. They're like, hey man, uh, when's the kingdom when's the kingdom of God gonna come? And they're so interested in trying to, to predict it so they can get control of it, so they can plan for it. And uh, they've put the kingdom of God into this into this future box, and Jesus, in contrast, responds to their question, when's the kingdom of God going to come? Well, you know, it's not something that, that you can observe and say, here it is or there it is, where you can predict it, because if you can predict it, you can control it. Jesus says the kingdom of God is in your midst. Wow. The kingdom of God is in your midst, what does that mean? That means that God's eternal spiritual reality, God's eternal power, God's eternal purposes are happening right now, coinciding right now and occurring actively right now, right alongside your physical material reality that you occupy. Okay, let the paint dry on that thought just for a second. Kenny, are you saying that the kingdom of God is right here next to you? Yes. Um, Are you saying that, that the kingdom of God is right where I am, happening all around? Well, that's what in your midst means. It means it's in the atmosphere. It's in the immediate context that right now, right next to your physical, material reality, the kingdom of God is operating. It's moving. God's purposes are happening. There's these intersections of his sovereignty and providence and you and people and your work environment and your family environment and the people that you're going to meet today that are new and God's kingdom is all over it. He's at work. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis, but that's what this, that whole concept is all around, all about, that right alongside what we can see, what we can touch, what we can smell, what we can sense. Right alongside of that is the kingdom of God and that is a more powerful and a more real reality than our material reality, all right? In the kingdom of God, there's a king. His name is Jesus. In the kingdom of God, it's a realm, it's a dimension Uh, that God is working in, and that dimension is invading our time and our space. And so that's what Jesus is saying. He said, man, you want to live in the ultimate dimension? If you want the ultimate life, it's not about what you see and what you sense and and what your appetites are and uh, what will die with you. It's about this eternal supernatural dimension that is occurring in your midst question are you man of god living in the kingdom of god or are you living in the kingdom little k of culture right and if you are you're living for the immediate if you're living in the kingdom of god which god says is in your midst and in you right you're living for the ultimate all right third third passage john chapter 10 uh, what we see there is that my ultimate life involves a pivot toward one person, right? Jesus, in this passage, is talking about uh, a real shepherd leading sheep, and then the hired hands and the rustlers who don't really care for the sheep. And he's talking about how he is at the center Right? You have to pivot and put it, put all of your energy and focus and diligence uh, in following and listening on Jesus. Now, in the first century, if you were a shepherd and you were gathering your sheep, all right? So imagine there's a space right between my fingers. That's the start of the pen for the sheep. And then the pen goes like this, and then it goes like this, and then it goes like this, all right? See that gap right there? There's no door There's no door there. Want to know why? There's no physical door. Because the shepherd would would lay down and he would become the gate or the door. Some of your Bible translations say, I am the the door uh, that the sheep come in and out through or I am the gate right, that the sheep come in and out through. And so what Jesus is comparing and contrasting is like there are other doors that the sheep could go through or go in, but those are the thieves, all right? And the thieves don't know the voice of the shepherd, all right? The, the, the sheep don't know their voice, but the sheep know the voice of their shepherd, right? But if if you get sidetracked and you go for, um, for that wrong voice, if you enter that wrong pen, and in this case and in this context uh, of the immediate, all right? Listening to the wrong voice, trusting culture, trusting the themes of culture, trusting the advice of culture, uh, trusting the things of earth, materialism, the philosophies, hedonism, relativism, even politicalism, the things that of earth, right? Where that's your identity, you trust that. Guess what happens? Those thieves, right? Those distractions, those, uh, those pursuits, right? They will steal your life, they will kill your life, and they will destroy your life. But Jesus says, I came so that you could have real and eternal life. That's the ultimate, real life and eternal life, right? Um, And Jesus says, a more and better life than you ever dreamed of, okay? So that's the ultimate, right? What is the definition of ultimate? The best imaginable of its kind But you have to pivot and recognize Jesus is the gate. And you have to go through him and get in this space, right? Through the space that goes through him. So here's Jesus. Here's our dimension of living and life. And we go through him into this space. And Jesus says, you'll go freely in and out and find pasture, rest, provision, care, protection, all right? Some of us right now, we're going in through the wrong gates. We're we're opening the wrong doors, the doors that the world has to offer, all right? The door of self-gratification, the door of social media and self-importance, right? The goal of he who dies with the most toy wins, you know? Where We're defined by our stuff. We're defined by the car we drive. We're defined by the clothes we wear. We're we're defined by our image. And you know what that's doing to you? It's stealing your ultimate life. It's killing your ultimate life in God. And it's destroying your ultimate life in God. Why? Because you're going through the wrong door. And you need to shut all those doors. And you need to choose the right door. You got to come into this this dimension that Jesus lets you into. You come to Jesus, and you offer your whole life to Jesus, and you come into the kingdom dimension, and man, that's the abundant life. That's where you want to be. That's where the action is, all right? Okay? So. What's your ultimate life? It's a pursuit of God's perspective, it's a presence of God's purpose, it's a pivot toward one person, and his name is Jesus, all right? So if that's true, let's read our next verse, it says this. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. 2 Corinthians 4, 18. You're taking notes all right so there is this there is this singularity right this this fixing of the man of god's life on what is um unseen because that's immediate that's gonna die with me and we're fixing our eyes on him who is unseen but more real than what we see and his name is jesus all right So that's God's mind on immediate versus ultimate. Now let's look at the common denominator for all ultimate men. And that common denominator is an ultimate shaping experience. right? And it talks about this ultimate shaping event in the life of God's man that changes everything in Ephesians chapter 2. So I'm going to read this passage and then we're going to unpack it. All right, so listen for what this ultimate shaping experience in your life that changes everything, listen for what that is, ready? As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Wow, there it is. You were dead. You were stuck. You were powerless. Dead in your transgressions and sins. Separated from God. Separated from the kingdom of God. Separated from the life of God. But... And this is what I would call the big butt of the Bible, all right, Ephesians chapter two. But because of his great love for us, God who's rich in mercy, man, he made you alive. If that isn't the most powerful shaping event of your life, man of God, I don't know what is. Your eternity just changed. You put your faith in the person of Christ as savior and in the work of Christ your redeemer on the cross and you said yes i receive the person of Christ my lord the work of Christ of on the cross my savior i receive him and what he did for myself boom and everything changes in your life you now pass out of death into life you do it by faith you are saved now, I don't know if you've ever been saved. I've been saved from death. When I was five years old, I went to Stevens Creek Dam. Uh, I didn't know how to swim. Uh, I was on the edge of the dam, the slope, and uh, I was super curious about the water. It was drawing me in, and I didn't know that the slope of the dam, right where the water came up, just below the water, was this slippery green moss. And... Um, I fell in and uh, my sister started screaming and to this day I don't know who the man was, but a man took off his jacket, he jumped in fully clothed and he, he carried me to a place where I could get out. Um, let me just say that I will never forget that event. It is, uh, I got a second chance, I could have died right there in Stevens Creek Dam. My, my life would have been a five year span because my sister wasn't gonna be able to save me. Right? But this man jumped in and saved me. <sighs> Let's just say I was desperate. Right? And that's, that's what I wanna unpack. There is a desperation to salvation. When you recognize how, how there, is, there is God, there is eternity, there, there is heaven, there is forgiveness, there is living out your intended purpose, and then there's you, and there is an abyss separating you. And God, because he's looking at you and looking at the separation and looking at you and looking at the separate, he decides out of the love inside of him that he's going to send Christ to die on a cross for your sin so that you can have a relationship with him. But he's not gonna force you to say yes to his offer. You know, when someone offers you something, you got to recognize where you're at and the offer. So let's unpack Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. What do we see? Number one, we see a desperate encounter with grace. What I was just talking about. It's what I just thought. What's a desperate encounter is when someone is, they know, they can't save themselves. They know they're helpless. They know... They know they're powerless. They don't have a solution. Right? That creates desperation. And and then out of that desperation comes someone with exactly what we need. And our desperation is, is just we're not we're not gonna have a relationship with God. There's no way for us to do it because we're not, we're not perfect enough. God's perfect. And you need perfect. To have a relationship with God, and we don't we don't have it, but someone who is perfect came and paid the price for your imperfect and said, Let's go. Right? How does that make you feel? What is that emotions does that stir up in you? That you have a desperate situation and now relief. So that's number one. That's the first thing we see. We were dead in transgressions and sins, but God in his great love and mercy. Number two, there's a desperate embrace of grace. You know, the Bible says that we're saved by grace through faith. Another way of saying it is we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Can you say that with me? I am saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So that's the embrace. We recognize, we see God's offer, and we embrace that offer in faith. And that's what saves us before God. God, I recognize that Jesus is your son and that he's God. I recognize that he came to earth to die for me and my sins so that I could have a relationship with you. I want that. We embrace a relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ by faith. Third, what do we see in Ephesians 2? We see an immediate explosion of grace. When the grace of God comes into our lives, look what happens. We're raised with Christ. We're seated with Christ. God explodes toward us in love and in in family and in placement. We're raised up with Christ. Everything that that Christ is and has and does, all is ours. There's an explosion of that. And, And when you realize all that you get just by saying yes to Jesus by faith, there's just this explosion of grace inside of you. Who does that? Who gives you what you don't deserve? And not just gives you what you don't deserve, but it's forever. Permanent. Permanent forgiveness, permanent relationship, permanent eternity with God. Permanent purpose, permanent identity, permanent forever. And when you recognize how kind that is in light of who we are and how li- in light of how flawed we are and in light of how wicked we are and how selfish we are, that God would do that for us. It's just, it's mind-blowing. Grace is amazing. That's why we sing about it so much, because it's mind-blowing. It's a mind-blowing thing that God did. Fourth thing we see in Ephesians 2 is we see ultimate energy. Desperate encounter, desperate embrace, immediate explosion, ultimate energy. When you are saved, you have new motivation. What's that motivation? Somebody died for me. I got a a chance now. I have new direction, right? I know now how to invest my energy. God's telling me I'm I'm now going to go put it into the things that He prepared for me to do. That's what it says on the last night. You're God's handiwork, right? You're his story, you're his creation. Created in Christ Jesus, key words, in Christ Jesus. If you're not in Christ Jesus, he can't make you his handiwork. Why? To do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Guys, if there are some of you right now and you're thinking, gosh, should I, should I give my life to Christ? Should I say yes to God's offer? My, I can't, I can't encourage you more strongly to say yes. Just to say yes, why? Because there's this whole dimension of life and living in Christ and there's a work and a mission and it's good and God wants you to be a part of it but you gotta say yes to the person of Christ, his lordship and the work of Christ as your savior and receive salvation from him alone. And then you'll be in Christ Jesus and in the family and in this dimension Called the kingdom of God. So, uh, that's our response to God's kindness, and and you can respond that way, all right, the way the Bible says, or not. Um, in the next verse in Romans two four, it talks about how, you know, when it comes to grace, God's incredible, phenomenal, eternal offer to us, you can think it's cheap. You can respond to it in a cheap way versus for what it is. It talks about that in Romans 2.4. It says this, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance, okay? That ultimate response of, oh my gosh, I got a second chance. Oh my gosh. I was dead in sin. Now I'm alive. Oh my gosh. Jesus died for sin. Now I'm going to die to sin. That's repentance. It's where you change your thinking about who you are, what you believe, and how you will behave based on what you believe. And if you believe that God's love was shown toward you in Christ, and you were dead in transgression of sin, and through Jesus, you've been made alive to God, seated with Christ, and God's been more than kind, eternally kind to you. If you don't recognize how cool and powerful and personal and shaping and reshaping that is, the Bible says that that's contemptible. Do you show contempt? You When you don't, respond the right way it's contemptible what you're communicating to God is what you did that offer worthless doesn't matter to me it's not that big a deal all right you ever done something big for somebody and they respond that way and it's just like wow okay that's what it means to show contempt it means to assign a worthlessness to what has happened so let's unpack what the grace of God actually is in my life and in your life, all right? Number one, grace from God is the ultimate kindness. You know, when someone's kind to you, a normal response is to reciprocate in some way. You know, someone does something for you and you just say, hey, how can I pay you back? How can, I? and they're like, no, let me do something good for you, right? That's a normal, healthy response to kindness. What about ultimate kindness, right? Secondly, we see that the grace of God is the ultimate shaping event. Yeah, it's kind, but it is powerful. It's the ultimate shaping event of my life. I'll never forget July 2nd, 1982, when God's kindness invaded the back room of my parents' house. When I said, Jesus, I want to know you. I need to see you. Oh my gosh. It changed me forever. It was 38 years ago. I've never looked back. It changed me forever. My whole life changed in that moment. Cuz I recognized I was dead. I the, the I was going through all the wrong doors. I just said I I need the right door. And Jesus said, "I am the door. Come through me." into meaning, come and come to me for purpose, come to me for filling, come to me for satisfaction, come to me to tell you who you are. Come to me so I can show you the way, so I can lead you in truth, so I can give you life. Doesn't that sound awesome? I'll never forget that moment. So grace from God is the ultimate kindness. Grace from God is the ultimate shaping event. The grace of God is the ultimate shift in passion right i'll never forget my friends they didn't know what to do with me why because i recognized what happened a lot of times we diminish or write off or just forget how powerful our salvation is i can never forget it and that day after i said yes to god's offer and received christ in my life His spirit invaded my life, took over my body, took over my mouth, took over my mind, took over the whole enchilada, took over how I did relationships, took over how I treated women, took over how, it took over the whole thing and people were looking at me like, whoa. What did they see? They saw me shift from living for the immediate to living for the ultimate. Amen? Because man of God, that's what you're called to live for. But you know what that shaping event that salvation event in your life do you remember when you were saved Do you remember when you crossed the line into relationship with god ephesians 2 tells us what happens and you know what that's supposed to create an ultimate shift in our passion you know here at everyman when we talk about the dangerous good movement right it's a movement of men who have experienced the ultimate kindness And that's the ultimate shaping event the grace of God is at work and powerful and strong in their lives and what that grace does is it creates an ultimate shift in their passion that's why I'm so excited about the dangerous good movement it's men who've experienced grace and they see it and they recognize it and there's this spirit inside of them of of how do I reciprocate God? And so they pour themselves into their relationship with God and his purposes in the world and they go for it. That's why we're here on this live stream. That's why you're listening. That's why you're in your house. You're on a run. You're looking at your computer. You're in a Starbucks. You're in a coffee shop. You're at school. You're in your car. That's why God has you listening to this. He wants your salvation to be the life-changing event that changes everything. You see... This kindness, this reshaping, this shift and where you put your energy is talked about in the Bible. Titus chapter two, verses 11 through 14. Listen to what this says. Listen very closely to these words. It says this, the Bible says this, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It, the grace of God, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, listen, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. So based on what we've been talking about today, immediate versus ultimate, what's the game changer? Salvation, right? Titus says there's three ways that we respond to the grace of God. Number one, write this down. We receive God's offer of grace. Some of you are watching and you have never received the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the mercy of God for your sin, and you are destined for destruction. You're living for the immediate. But guess what? I have good news for you. You can shift and you can recognize God's kindness toward you who who don't deserve. You don't deserve it. But guess what? He's offering it to you anyway because he loves you and he made you. And you can receive it. But you got to say yes. Now, we receive, we, we receive God's offer initially, and that brings us salvation. We're in, permanently. Our future is set. But I know there's a lot of guys watching. You need God's grace right now. You're thinking, you know what? I've gone off the reservation. I've kind of gone off the the, the, the tracks. I'm out here in the, the world of the immediate and worldly passions and ungodliness and Lack of self-control, guess what? Good news for you too. You can receive God's offer of grace for where you are right now and get back on the bike and start pedaling for the kingdom of God. Let's go. God is offering you grace as well to come back. The Bible says the righteous man falls seven times but rises again. Grace allows us to rise again. So confess that sin to God, agree with him that it's wrong. And ask him to forgive you and cleanse you and ask him to fill you with the Holy Spirit. That's all that God requires. He just wants you to get honest with yourself, honest with him, and get your power back and forsake that sin, all right? So receive God's offer of grace, initially, continually. Second, respond God's way to grace. Let it shift you, all right? There's some of you, you're sort of shifted. You're sort of in the immediate, mostly in the ultimate, but guess what? There's drag shift all the way. That's why it says God's grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness, worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright and godly lives right now in this present age, not tomorrow, not the next minute. You need to respond God's way to God's grace. Third, you got to remember God's cost for grace. Look at what it says. We're waiting for our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who, listen, gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Wow. Mm. That's why he died. He didn't die so you could coast, so that you could blend, you know, some of the world's ways with some of God's ways. He died for you to redeem you from that, shift your energy, and get you into the kingdom, what you were built and made to do. Be a world changer. You're eager to do what He wants. Are you eager to do what He wants today? First step, receive God's offer. Second step, respond God's way. Third step, just remember God's cost. And you'll never lose your motivation if you actively remember God's cost. In fact, that's why we do communion. I wish I could break bread with you right now so that we could remember. You know, the crosses and what Jesus did for us there is something he never wants us to forget. You know, there's a final passage in our study today. It's from Mark 8, 34 and and 35, and it's Jesus just laying it on the line. You can't live for culture and live for Christ at the same time. You can't live for the world and live by the word at the same time. You can't follow the flesh and follow the spirit at the same time. You can't love God and love money at the same time because you'll love one and hate the other. Listen to what Jesus says, Mark 8, 34 and 35. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples. He said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you're, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. What is Jesus saying? as he invites people to join this movement of followers, he's asking a crowd of people on, in, in the second and third circles to join him intimately in the first circle and become disciples, true followers. What does he say? He says someone has to die in order to ultimately live says if any of you wants to be my disciple you must give up your own way take up your cross and follow me that means stop trying to hang on to your old life right because the very thing you're trying to hang on to you're going to lose anyway but you're going to have to give up your life now how does that relate well Jesus dies for sin. You and me, we die to sin. Jesus resurrects and comes alive. We come alive to God's purposes, right? I die to sin. I come alive to God's purposes. And there is the shift, man, from the immediate to the ultimate. I die to sin and to myself and to the world and to the things of earth and I come alive in my eternal citizenship. I come alive in my eternal identity. I come alive in my energy flowing out of that identity. And it leads to an expression that says to the world, I'm not living for the immediate. I'm living for the ultimate. I'm living for God. And I just know that there's there's so many of you right now, you're just like, you're hearing these words, you're like, that's what I want, that's what I want, that's what I want. Good, let's go. Let's get in the boat, all right? I'm gonna, I want you to put down your pencils or wherever you are, if you're running, stop. Take a knee somewhere. Who cares what other people think, all right? Close your laptop, all right? We're just gonna talk to God, me and you, together as God's men in the spirit, in the kingdom dimension, that's more real right now in your heart and mind then whatever's going on around you, let's talk to God. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus with my brothers, and we're here for grace. We're here to ponder and recognize just exactly who we are, dead in transgression and sin without you, and recognizing your ultimate, Kindness in Christ, how even though we weren't worthy of your blood and your life, Jesus, you came anyway and you shed it, and your forgiveness through your blood is eternal. And we declare you in this moment, right now, we say yes to your grace by saying yes to you as God, Jesus, and saying yes to the cross and your forgiveness and what you did for us and saying yes to your spirit right now coming inside of us and taking over. Lord, we want your grace for us in Christ to be the ultimate shaping event, our salvation, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And God, we commit ourselves To you and your purposes. Because that's what your grace is calling us to do. to, To be all in. So we receive your offer of grace. And God, we're responding the right way. Lord, let your grace toward us in Christ shape and reshape and shift our passions and energy today. There are men right now who know exactly what they need to do. Because of grace toward them, grace that they need to offer to other people, actions they need to take, things they need to correct, God, I I thank you that they're going to take those actions today and not wait. Why? Because whatever it costs them, it will never repay God's cost for grace. So Jesus, thank you for dying for sin. Help us to die to sin. Jesus, thank you for defeating hell and death and sin and coming alive. Fill us with your spirit and make us alive right now to your purposes in a singular way, in a focused way, in a fixed way, until you come for us or we go to you. In Jesus' name, God's men said, amen. Amen. Now, a lot of you prayed with me, and, and I, I can see right now, just in the kingdom, I can see that God has blown his wind and his breath on an ember of commitment inside of you. Would you please let me know the commitment that you made? Kenny L at everymanministries.com. I want to know. I want to pray for you. Our team wants to pray for you. Guys, there's a movement of men that are being called into this this place, this dimension, right, that is spurred on by the grace of God to become powerful for God's purposes in this hour. And we want to help equip you to do that. And if you prayed with me right now, I want you to let me know. Kenny L. at everymanministries.com. i want to pray for you. And then for the rest of you out there, make sure that you're inviting your friends to, to join us every Thursday for the Men's Global Livestream. God bless you, and we're praying for you.